Well, I heard this week of a pastor of a local church who loved to play golf. And uh, he would try to golf as much as possible, whenever possible. And one day he awoke to a beautiful, sunny Sunday morning, perfect for a round of golf. And so he pretended that he was sick. And he convinced the associate pastor to preach for him that Sunday morning. And uh, then he, he got up and he drove about an hour away from his hometown so he wouldn't run into anybody from the church. And he lined up on the first tee and all was beautiful. Um, the temperature was perfect, just a, a slight breeze, enough to, to cool you off. The trees in full bloom, fairways perfectly groomed, the greens were beautiful and freshly mowed, and the first hole right there, par four, straight down the way, 420 yards, just waiting for him to play. With many others at church that day, he had the course almost to himself. And watching from heaven, there were some protests from the angels. <laughs> they said to God, are you going to let him get away with this? Just then, the pastor swung his club for the opening drive. <laughs> he never hit a ball that far before. He never hit a drive that straight before. And it carried, headed straight for the pin, bounced a little before the green, bounced on the green, rolled up, and into the hole. A hole in one, 420 yards. Absolutely. It was a miracle shot. And Michael, the archangel, a representative of all the angels, said to the Lord, why did you let him do that? The Lord smiled and said, who's he going to tell? This morning I am here, and I have a story to tell. Like the pastor in the story, I like to play pool. I like to play golf, but pool is, is my game that I have figured out. And this past week, I went to Davenport, Iowa, to play in the American Q Sports Midwest Tournament. Being on the border of Illinois and Iowa, a lot of people from Illinois and Iowa, but also some from Nebraska and Wisconsin and Indiana, were there as well. Here's a little glimpse of the venue. 100 pool tables or so. 1,500 people came to play. Lots of different tournaments. So I left early Wednesday morning, drove two hours so I could be there for an eight, 10 o'clock pool tournament, pool time. And, and I was playing in the seniors division. Phil was over 55 because I am uh, 56 now and so I could play. I'm figuring like, hey, I can, I can play with the old boys. But you, you got you to know, though, the older guys have been playing for a long time, and uh, they're pretty good. So there were 20 guys, 29 guys signed up for this senior tournament, which double elimination, uh, which means you got to lose twice. Each match was a race to four, which means the first one to win four games wins the match. And the first match was 10 in the morning, and I went, and I lost all four games. I texted Yvonne. Here's what I said. And just like that, I lost my first round, match 4-0 to zero in 40 minutes. He whooped me. He was clearly better than I am. I play again at 2.30, so I'm off to a coffee shop or McDonald's, and she texted back and said, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> she said, uh, well, enjoy your study time. Um, I did enjoy my study time. Found a nice spot out of the menu, venue and this big room, Wi-Fi access. It was it was nice. Well, on the loser side, I was up three games to one against my next guy. I needed just one game to win the match. But I lost all three, and it, I ended up losing the match four to three. And again, I texted Yvonne after the match and said, and just like that, I'm out of the tournament. I'm buckling down, hoping to do the heavy lifting of my sermon tonight. <laughs> Which, by the way, I did. Um, I have, normally my sermon notes are about 20 pages. I have 30 pages today. So... I might change this into part one and part two is what I'm thinking about. But I had a lot of time on my own without any distractions. It was really helpful. So I called Yvonne that night from a hotel room, and I was super discouraged. I really thinking about it. Like, so why did I travel this far? I mean, the pastor in the story traveled an hour out of town. I traveled two hours out of town. Didn't see anybody that I knew. Paid the $80 entry fee. Paid for a, an expensive hotel room because it was attached to the venue to be all by myself that night away from my family. Only play... A pool tournament the next day, which is called the Standard Pool Tournament. 
Well, the next day, there were three main tournaments in the eight ball. Like, there's a lot more going on. There's a nine ball tournament. But in eight ball, there's like the advanced and the open and the standard. And so I was playing in the, the standard division, the lowest of the three. 120 guys had entered the tournament. And um, my first match was 10 o'clock in the morning, and I won that match. And then I played again at 11.30, and uh, I won that match four games to zero. I won the next match at four games to one. <clears throat> and I word, <clears throat> excuse me, won my third match that started at 5.30 in the evening, 4-0. to zero. And so here I was, I was three wins in, and uh, with these wins, the, continue, the tournament continued on Friday. And so my match was scheduled for 10 o'clock in the morning. And so I called Yvonne, like, what's, I thought about going home and coming back two hours there, two hours back. But the weather, if you're not sure if you remember, weather on Friday was horrible. Yvonne went down to Bloomington and saw how many cars in the ditch? 22 cars in the ditch. So she said, no, no, you stay there, <clears throat> get a hotel room. And I got a hotel room. It was a lot cheaper hotel room. And um, you know, I, I played in the Iowa tournament a few years before, and I was finished up the first day. I won one, I lost two, and I figured that'd be the same thing. I planned to come home that night, but I won three, so it's double elimination. So I got to lose twice, so I had at least two game, two matches planned the next day. And I had a hotel room, and I had a Zoom meeting night with some of you guys who were reading through the scriptures together. We just talked about what we read in the scriptures. I, I told you, and we were talking about the Bible reading that week. I told you I was here at the, um, it was in Iowa, and we had a great meeting. I was FaceTiming with Yvonne, and uh, about 10.30, actually at 10.38 that evening, it comes on my phone, and I, I text it up. It says, you just lost your match. I was like, What? Unknown to me, <clears throat> that 10 o'clock a.m. match on Friday had been shifted back to 10, thir- 10 o'clock on Thursday night. But I wasn't paying attention because I had to get a hotel room. I had to get some dinner. I had to fill up with, with the car gas, and I would forgot a charger. So I went to Best Buy and got a charger and a busy, and then I had my meeting. And I didn't know anything about it. And they waited half an hour for me to show up. It didn't show up. Canceled. Lost. And... Um, meant I was in the loser's bracket, one more loss, and I was heading home. And I had, went from the high of winning three matches in the morning, being kicked out loser side for realizing, not realizing about a schedule change, and I didn't have a chance to play the match. And I was discouraged, was I, Yvonne? Yeah. <laughs> I was super discouraged. And again, questions came into my mind about, I've gone all the way to Iowa <clears throat> to play? And then to spend money, $80 entry fee, and an, another $80 hotel room I got that night? And be away from my family? Like, is this, is this right? Is this okay? Anyway, I came back in the morning. First match at 11.30 in the morning. I actually played this guy. I, I found these are on the internet. I, I found his name's Pat, and I, I played him. If I lost, I'd be finished. I'd come home. And uh, I beat Pat four games to one. The next match, I was down two games to three to a 16-year-old. And if a 16-year-old's in a tournament, you know he's good. Uh, they don't, yeah, they're, they're not good. They're not in the tournament if they're so young. I had to win the next two games to win, and I had to bank the eight ball to win. I banked the eight ball, and I won. If I missed that shot in my other tournament, so I made one, I felt like the pastor who hit that 420-yard drive, really. And then I won again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Several other times, when I, my victories, I was down three games to two, which means like, like they went to the table. If they put the eight ball in, they win. That was probably a dozen times in the tournament that they had chances to win, and they didn't. Um, on another occasion, I was tied 3-3, the deciding game of the match, and um, I won. Matches kept coming. One afternoon, I didn't have time to have lunch or dinner. So I started at 11.30, and I'd play a game. As soon as I got done with the game, someone would come up, we got to play over here. So I'd play over there, and even sometimes I'd say, can I just get some to eat? And I'd go and grab two granola bars, and I'd eat them. And I remember one time I was eating them, and just make a big mess right there, and it was... But I didn't have time to have any sort of dinner. Let me make a long story short. This is a long story. Make it short, okay? 11.30 evening, after 12 hours of playing match after match, after winning all nine of my matches that day, I was handed this. American Q Sports 2024 Midwest 8-Ball Championships, Davenport, Iowa, first place mixed, men's mixed standard singles. That means men or women's, but there's just men. In other words, out of 120 competitors, I won the Midwest eight-ball championship in the lowest division, all right? So um, 
next year if I go, I have to play in the open division. But I was given a check. It's amazing kind of how your perspective changed from the two days before. (laughs) On Wednesday, I was so down from losing twice, eliminated from the seniors division. On Thursday evening, I was discouraged about forfeiting this match I knew nothing about. And then on Friday evening, I had this immense exuberation of winning and receiving this trophy. And after winning, right, immediately after I was receiving, I got two texts from guys, my pool buddies, who were following me online. Congratulations, congratulations. One of them, then he even talked to at 1130 at night because he was up. And uh, on Saturday, it was posted on Facebook. I didn't post it. Someone else posted it. And I received other text messages, compliments. I was told I need to bring my, my trophy on Monday night because everyone wanted to see about it and hear about it because I was representing our, our league. And guys are looking forward to talking to me. And um, I just say this, just pray for me that, as attention comes, I might just divert it to the Lord. I really feel it was sovereign. Like, um, I was very many, it's, there were many times I was just like, you know what, God, if I lose, that's okay. But I was thinking about you, though. I said, you know, what a great story that would be if I could win the championship. <laughs> and so it's a great story to give you a laugh and enjoyment and rejoice with me. So why did I tell that story? I couldn't not tell that story. <laughs> But also, I'm thinking, okay, can I, tie, I can tie this into the book of Revelation. Here's how, okay? <laughs> We've been working through Revelation for the last nine months. It's written to Christians who are going through some difficult times. Probably some were discouraged. Some were even questioning whether it's worth it to endure the persecutions facing, that they were facing as followers of Christ. But by the end of, of Revelation... Christ returns, the creation is restored, and all is well in the world. And and I think about my disposition on Wednesday and Thursday nights. I was down and discouraged, questioning even, should I do this even? What what am I doing? Why am I in Davenport away from my family? Why, Why am I doing this? But as it turned out, what I experienced was something way beyond anything I ever could have imagined. I never imagined that I was going to go and win this pool tournament. That was not in my plan. I, I was just looking as a fun. I just want my heart to beat. I want my sweaty palms. I just want the, the opportunity to compete with something. That's all I want, right? That's what I wanted, right? Um, and really, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. I, I don't have dreams that I'm going to win the Open next year. It, just a lot of things have got to go your way, and a lot of things went my way, by God's grace. And the book of Revelation is headed to a place we can hardly imagine It's headed to a place with no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. It's headed to a place of golden roads and pearly gates. It's headed to a place where God dwells with us, just like he dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. But but better, because our sin has been taken care of, and we'll be given glorified bodies that will be able to live with God in a sinless state. And that won't be once in a lifetime. That will be for eternity But in the book of Revelation, however, we're not there. That comes in Revelation chapter 21. Right now, we're in Thursday evening, feeling discouraged and defeated over our forfeit. And this is where we are in the book of Revelation, right? We're somewhat in a discouraging section about the wickedness of the world and God's judgment that's coming upon the world. And I do wish that I could just simply skip forward to chapter 21, to the good parts of Revelation, but... The goodness of the ending only builds and builds and builds as you see the judgment that precedes it. So this morning we are in Revelation chapter 18, one of the darkest chapters in all of Revelation. So now would be a good time. You can open your Bibles there as, as I do as well. As a reminder, this chapter really flows from chapter 16 where the, the bold judgments were poured out upon the earth. And these bold judgments, if you remember, are just part of several judgments in the book of Revelation. This is the backbone of the book of Revelation, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And, and the bowls we're going to see are in Revelation chapter 16. We've seen that already. The trumpets were in chapters 8 and 9, and the seals were in chapter... Six is where the seals are. Now, I remind you, right, there are seven of them. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And when the seals are opened, judgments come forth. 
And when the trumpets are blown, judgments come forth. When the bowls are poured out, judgments come forth. And they all get worse and worse and worse. The seals seem to affect about a fourth of the earth. The trumpets seem to affect about a third of the earth. And by the time you get down to the bowls, we're affecting all of the earth. It is, it is all. They get worse and worse. And as we think about the bowls of chapter 16, it brings an end to God's judgment on the entire earth. It brings an end to the judgment upon those who refuse to bow the knee and repent, bringing sores upon people, damaging water supplies, scorching people on the earth with fire, and with the hardness of people when they refuse to repent of the judgment coming upon them, they curse God instead with the power over the plagues. God pours out his wrath and says, if you look back there in chapter 16 and verse 17, a key verse, it is done. Reminiscent to when Jesus was on the cross, when he died for our sins, he said, it's finished. And John, the same writer, now says here, it's done. And what's done? The judgment of God is done. But that doesn't mean that God's done telling the story. That is where we get to Revelation 17 and 18. They're giving the details of what happened in that seventh bowl right near the end. So a good picture to see this. Out of the seventh bowl comes chapters 17 and 18. They're, they're really telling the same story from two different vantage points about the final judgment in the end. And they all come from chapter 16 and verse 19. If you look there, I got a big box over that verse in my Bible because that's what, you know, chapter 17 and 18, right, that, right next to your text. It says, The great city was split into three parts, and the cities and the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine, of the fury of his wrath. His cup of wrath is there, and it's going to be drained. It's going to be emptied right there, the last judgment. And we get to see and read about that in chapters 17 and 18 as God pours it all out. So last week we looked at Revelation chapter 17, which talked about judgment of the great prostitute, which is easy to understand as prostitutes are often a symbol of, of evil women who work to seduce and satisfy the lusts of men. The prostitute is often employed in Old Testament scripture, however, as one who's forsaken God. Uh, This isn't a literal prostitute. This is a picture, though, of people who've lived upon the earth and have been unfaithful to their creator, Uh, unfaithful to God, and they they have forsaken him and turned away. And God used this term oftentimes to Israel. He was sort of married to them, and they they left. They were a prostitute. They, they, They sought other means to satisfy themselves. And in that sense, prostitution is similar to idolatry, pursuing other gods rather than the one true God. And now this morning, we're going to be looking about the judgment on Babylon. It's recorded in Revelation chapter 18. My message is entitled this morning, Fallen, Fallen is Babylon. That's the major announcement of the text. It comes in verse 2. You can see right there, Fallen, Fallen is Babylon the Great. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen fallen, fallen is, is Babylon the Great. Uh, it comes back in chapter 14. If you look at chapter 14 and verse 8, there were three angels with three angelic announcements. The first one came with the eternal gospel, to fear God and give his glory for the hour of his judgment has come. And, and the second angel in verse 8 says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She who made all nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And again, right, there's that, there's that image of sexual immorality, but really meaning idolatry and really pursuing the ways of the world. And then that other angel comes and speaks about pouring out the, the wine of God's wrath and full strength of his anger, that that would come. But in chapter 14, Babylon was seen as full as, as, as well as done, done and, and fallen. But chapter 18 gives a little bit greater description of what that means. And like the image of the prostitute we saw last week in chapter 17, Babylon has Old Testament precedence as well. I think there's a prostitute image in the Old Testament, which these readers, by the way, knew the Old Testament better than all of you because they weren't distracted by Netflix and YouTube and Facebook and ESPN and all the things we had. They like had one book. They had the Bible. They went to the temple and they heard it a lot and they were trained in it. And they knew the Bible, and they knew that prostitution had a symbol of adultery. And so likewise, Babylon, they knew about Babylon. When we talk about Babylon, they just, oh, they knew. Isaiah 14, in fact, we read of the judgment on Babylon that Isaiah saw in his day before Babylon. The literal Babylon was defeated. 
In Jeremiah 50 and 51, we read of the judgment of Babylon that Jeremiah saw in his day, right, as well, that Israel, uh, that uh, just before Israel fell to Babylon. So like, just, before, just before Israel fell, Babylon's coming to attack them, Judah, and I, Jeremiah saw that, no, Babylon's going to fall someday. And then Daniel got to see it in chapter 5 when the death of Belshazzar, the last Babylonian king. Remember the fingers on the wall that said many, many tekelupersin? Said you've been found the scales and found wanting, measured in scales and found wanting. And soon he was the last king of Babylon. And soon after that, Cyrus, king of Persia, conquered Babylon. But, but for the most part, for the Old Testament prophets, Babylon is in the future. But Babylon was the great enemy of Israel and Judah. I mean, they came and ransacked them and took Daniel and others into exile, into Babylon, where they were there for 70 years. And they came back just a small remnant to rebuild Israel. So why does Revelation 18 describe the falling of Babylon, which already happened 500 years earlier? Of course Babylon has fallen. Here's the reason, because Babylon's a picture in biblical times, Peter talked about Babylon in 1 Peter 5.13, meaning just the, the government authorities. Probably speaking of Rome in his day. Now, also it's interesting here, Babylon in a proper sense is a country. Yet we see here in, in Revelation 18 that Babylon is represented as a city. And so again, it's pushing you to see Babylon as a symbolic representation of a world power of some type. The picture of the future sinly, sinful worldly system. And just like the prophet, the prostitute of Revelation 17, it's a picture of the sinful world that was finally judged. So also Babylon in Revelation 18 is a picture of the sinful world that will finally be judged. And Babylon really is a picture, I don't think of a one world power necessarily, but just like, like all the greatest powers of the world. And it's certainly like I think about our, our world today is America's the best world power, but there are other. I mean, there's, there's China, it's pretty close, and there's Russia, maybe the Ukrainian war is struck down, but there, there are like other nations, and it's just talking about all of that, all the world's powers that are there. And so the big question here is this. What's the sin of Babylon that God crushes so easily? Like, it's, in Revelation 18, there's, there's like no contest this is not a, a battle of two equals. This is like God's sovereign over all the nations of the earth. But what's his sin? What's this final judgment pictured to us? Why is it pictured to us as a city? I mean, the prostitute, we can understand that. That's a sinful living. Like we see sinfulness. But, but why as a city would judgment come? Well, the answer is this. That Babylon's merely a representation of, of cities in general. And cities in general are pretty anti-God. They're against God. And we see this in our government today. Our government wants nothing to do with God in the public square. Separation between church and state, which originally kind of meant that, you know, the, the state can't institutionalize or, or can't push a religion on the people just for freedom's sake, but didn't mean to take the church out. And, and today we say, well, let's take the church out of the state. So the state is totally non-church oriented. In the United States, we have the fortune enough to have in God we trust in our currency. But that's rank hypocrisy. Because we don't trust in God. We're the most powerful nation on the planet, so we don't need God, actually. And so our people in our nation are against God. And it's our government trying to actively persuade people of sinful living. God, God will judge, condemn. And we do. Our government actively tries to persuade people into sinful living. You through laws. That allow the death of babies, how appropriate here, the sanctity of human life, rather than trying to save babies. They say, have at it. Do what you want. Laws that demean the meaning of marriage, have at it. Go at your sin. It's all yours. And you're legally protected. And in fact, you have more protection in some regards. Or through indoctrination, pushes an anti-God worldview. I mean, we saw some of that come out recently when the presidents of the most prestigious universities of our land... You kind of just hear their testimony and with no moral basis at all. They don't understand morality even in the world. Anti-view, anti-God worldview. But, but also tie the corruption of Revelation. Catch this, right? Because we, we saw several of those, right? We saw the prostitute. Yeah, well, that would be anti-God, right? That would be sinful. But there's something else that Babylon adds, and that's the immense wealth and luxury of Babylon. 
and wealth and luxury turn the hearts of the people away from the Lord to enjoy the sinful pleasures of the world, everything the world has to offer, which we'll get to in due course. But it's much to say about us. In America, we live in the luxuries of the richest nation that has ever been. So with that as an introduction, let's jump into Revelation chapter 18. I I don't know how far I'm going to go. I'll read the whole chapter, though, so we kind of put it all all in view. Revelation 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the, ju- is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and will wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargoes of of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, and all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, and horses, chariots, and slaves, that is human souls." The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. And the merchants of those wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heavens. And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Well, my first point I'm I'm getting from verse 1. I'm simply calling it Overview. Because that's what it is. It's an overview. 
says Babylon has already been defeated. <clears throat> it's a bit like Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, which tells the, the big picture of the destruction of Babylon. But before we get to the overview, I want to just spend some time looking at the one who gives the overview. Gives the announcement. Verse 1. After this, I saw. Okay, I just want, want to remind you again that the visions that John sees are sequential to him, but not necessarily sequential in time. And, and, and case in point right here, <clears throat> he's going to be talking about the fall of Babylon, but it, it, it's really back to chapter 16, so it's a part of chapter 16. And oftentimes a struggle with interpreting revelations. Okay, he sees a vision, he sees a vision, sees a vision, and we're so timeline-oriented, we want to always put that in some kind of historic or future sort of timeline. And I'm not sure that's the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to figure out the puzzle. Right? Again, it's a, it's a picture book, and this is the final judgment is the, the picture. But it is in the, the seventh bowl in some sequence of, of last judgments there. After this, this is what John saw, and he saw this judgment of Babylon. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. Now, in Revelation, we've seen a lot of angels, but we've seen none like this angel. This angel had great authority. This angel had great glory. In fact, his glory was so great that he made the earth bright with his glory. He was like the sun, is who this angel was. Now, some think that it's because of the great glory, this must be Jesus, because only he would have such glory, but it's... It's not the case because, I don't think it's the case, because I just see in Revelation, you have angel after angel after angel after angel giving these proclamations. And why would Jesus be one of these angels just plucked in there? And maybe this angel is given so much authority and glory because of the announcement that he brings in verse 2. He called out with a mighty voice. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. This describes the the desolation of the city. No longer is she inhabited by people. She's now inhabited by demons and birds and beasts. You know, that's, that's what happens when buildings are abandoned. I remember my mother grew up on a farm and, uh, her childhood home was this typical old big farmstead sort of house. Um, you know, it had two stories and the rooms were tall, much like many of the old houses on Rockford. Uh, that's how they were, were built. And they had an attic and, and that was big as well. And um, I remember going there and visiting. But when I visited, it was, it was kind of on the, the trend. When I was a young boy, they abandoned that house. And my grandfather and grandpa then moved to kind of a smaller home. Um, it's more like a trailer house they did. Just the big house was getting so unwieldy and had so many problems. They abandoned the house. It was about 100 yards from that house, where the house they did, but they neglected it. And over the years, windows were broken. Um, things fell down. Pretty soon, raccoons came to rule the roost in, in the house. And I remember entering the home shortly before they burned it to the ground, like one last walk through the home. And as you walk around, it, it felt very eerie. It just felt abandoned, cobwebs all over the place, dirt, muck on the floor. Um, I, I remember just seeing so much filth. It was amazing. Piles of raccoon poop coming down from the attic. It's like, it was, it was awful. Um, but that's a bit like what happens in Babylon, the city. People are gone because they're judged and destroyed, and what's left is demons and animals. And, and when they have their wear, they're not repairing anything. Everything just goes into disarray. And then we have the reason given for why such judgment came upon Babylon. It comes in verse 3. Four, reason. Why is Babylon the great fallen? Because all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. You see really... Three sins there, right? The, the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. It's probably talking about, you know, just the in, enjoyment, the engagement, the engorgement of it, the drunkenness on the things that Babylon has to offer. You know, so just the kings that you have committed immorality with her. You've got nations with nations committing immorality. What does it mean? Just idolatry. They're sharing their idolatry together. And then finally, even the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. He says, is wealth that God is judging here. We'll get back to that, but I just want to point out how, how similar this is to the prostitute. And, and, and then, again, this makes argument. Chapter 17 and 18 are talking about the same thing. 
Uh, if you look at chapter 17, verse 2, here's a summary of, of what's, what's happening. Come, I'll show you, verse 1. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on the many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers in the earth have become drunk. I mean, it's almost exactly the same, the prostitute and Babylon. Both guilty of the same thing, sexual immorality and drunkenness. Very similar to Revelation 14, verse 8, that I read to you earlier. It says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink of the wine and the passion of her sexual immorality. But it's interesting, back in chapter 14, verse 8, what it says, she made all nations drink of the wine and the passion of her sexual immorality. That is, not only was she involved in immorality and drunkenness, but she used her influence to influence other nations to be involved in that very same thing. It's like the influence of Paul as he speaks in Romans 1 of the wrath of God coming upon those who deny God. And, and, and they just resist God. Even though they know God, they resist Him, and God just lets them go. And it says the very ending of that chapter, after a long list of sins they're committing, it says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Like they're engaging that. They're, they're working it up. It's like, like the father who watches porn with his eight-year-old son. Like, hey, come on, this is a good thing. This is what we do. That's what Babylon has done. Not only has Babylon committed sins, they brought other nations along in their wickedness. And, and again, we're not talking about literal sexual immorality and drunkenness. That's, those are pictures of unfaithfulness to God. Pictures of pursuing the pleasures of the world, right? You're turning away from God and you're just gorging yourself on the pleasures of the world. And cities are doing this and nations are doing that made up of people, right, for sure. But there's one more sin. I mentioned it earlier, mentioned in verse 3. Beyond immorality, beyond drunkenness, beyond the pleasures, beyond the idolatry, it's wealth. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Catch the logic. Verse 2, she'd become... Fallen, fallen is Babylon because the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. We don't often think about wealth as sin. We don't often think about those who have grown rich as sinful. But let me warn you, church family, there's something about wealth and living in luxury that draws us away from God. You remember the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 and following? I'll just read it for you. She says this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with everyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That is precisely the error of Babylon. Though they're rich in the world, they're not rich towards God. It's a great sin of Babylon. It's an anti-God city, which I would hold are most cities. Babylon here pictures the chief city. The city that has influence over all the other cities. I don't think that America is in the book of Revelation if the Lord tarries, I don't know if America will be around another 500 years. Rome fell. Rome was seen as invincible, and they fell. I can foresee a day where America falls. It's not like we are perpetual forever there. But today, Babylon could be America, a reference to America. Because when you look over the world, there's one place that dominates the entire world scene. It's the United States of America. We are the envy of the world. And by all measures, we lead the world in wealth and power. Do you know why we have an immigration problem? Because we're the wealthiest nation in the world. And people come from all over the earth to find wealth here because they too have been captivated by the deceitfulness of riches. I got to pursue America, I got to pursue the riches. They're, they're just buying into that idolatry as they come. Yeah, I, I don't blame them, right? The, the life they're leaving is difficult and hard, impoverished, poor. They want to come to America. But let us not think that our wealth is not dangerous. It is. 
Jesus said this, Only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. And why is it? Because riches have this way of turning your heart from God. Riches will lead you to depend on yourself and your own power rather than depending upon God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel, right? You're blessed when your spirit, you're broken and poor and impoverished, and you know that you need God, and you, you need Him, and you got nothing else. I'm, I'm poor, God, I need you. That's the gospel. That's, we come to Christ poor and needing Him everything. It's interesting, in Luke's rendering of the, on the Sermon on the Mount, in Luke chapter 6, he says, Blessed are the poor, for there is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say poor in spirit. Matthew says poor in spirit, which is there. But I think also Jesus is alluding there to there's a blessing that comes with impoverished people because they have nowhere else to turn but to the Lord. I've seen that in Nepal. I've seen that in India. I've traveled. They they have nowhere else to turn. They don't have anything. So they turn to the Lord. And there's a blessing of poor people. They'll turn to the Lord. And we in America, we're all rich. The poorest among us is rich by the world's standards. You go to Nepal churches, every one of you, they're giving statements out there. Right? What you give is far beyond what many Nepalis give. Because they can't. What you give is far beyond what Nepalis can even earn. They're stuck. Riches can you cause you to depend on yourself and your own power. You remember the pride of, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon? King Nebuchadnezzar was walking out on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. He said this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Is not this Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty, that's the deceitfulness of a king? He thought he built it and owned it all, and it was all for him. And you remember what happened to him? God struck him down. He dwelt like a beast in the fields. And I think there are plenty of those in America who can offer up the same sentiment. Is this not this that I built? By the power of my majesty, I was so ingenuity, had all this ingenuity. I, I worked really hard. I built this for myself. Look at all that I have. And there's a, a pride that can come in our thinking. And the pride is very anti-God. And this, by the way, is what America offers to the world. By all measures, we lead the world in exporting our sin as well. Hollywood exports immorality and idolatry in almost every movie it produces. And never underestimate the power of movies upon the world. Oh, those in Nepal and India may not have much, but they have satellite dishes. You see these tin shacks and satellite dishes. So they can watch all the entertainment, all the muck, all the sin. We're just exporting that right into the hearts and minds of the people of the world, saying, hey, this is the richest nation in the world. This is what we can do. We spend it. Immorality, idolatry. Here you go. And it brings cancer to the world. You know, it wasn't until America embraced homosexuality as normative that the world really is beginning to follow in kind. Judgment will come upon us. will come upon such a world. Well, let's go to the second point. I think maybe I'll just do this point, and then we'll, I'll leave the other three points for next week. I'm calling it preview, because that's what we see in, in verses 4 through 8. We see a view of Babylon before it's destroyed. This once is the overview, verses 1 through 3. Now we see the pre- preview of, of what it's going to be like. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people! Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plague. So in this verse, we see Babylon's not yet been destroyed. And, and so there's a chance to come out of that. Like, like to come out of that sinful living. It's a call for repentance before the destruction of the city. But if you don't come out of Babylon, you're going to destroy it. You're going to join in the destruction of Babylon. If you take part in her sins, you'll take part in her plagues. Again, right, we're given the reason why Babylon is in danger of judgment after this call. Like, preview, right? This is before. He said, For her sins are heaped up high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. You reap up sin. God doesn't forget iniquities. He remembers them. And the iniquities he's going to judge. Here's the glories of the gospel. Do you see it? Is it in Christ Jesus? He forgets our sins. 
That's part of the new covenant. I will remember their sins no more. It's part of the gospel, believing and trusting in Jesus. See, see when, when God is sin, God sees sin, he can't just sweep it under the rug. He can't just purge it from his mind. He can't just forget about it. He remembers every sin that's committed. And he'll do what's required of that sin. As a righteous judge, he'll punish that sin. And the gospel's so precious because God in Christ Jesus is where he punished the sin of those who would believe. And for those who trust in Jesus, who are depending upon him, he'll not remember their sins. They'll be cast as far as the east is from the west, thrown to the bottom part of the sea. He won't sweep them under the rug. He won't ignore them. He'll deal with them in Christ and punish Christ on our behalf. We need to trust him. There's the gospel. Trusting the death of Christ sufficient to satisfy God's wrath for us. But here with Babylon, we see that she hasn't trusted in Jesus. She's been defiant. She's walked in her ways. And so the voice continues in verse 6. This angel is pronouncing judgment. It's a preview, right? Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. A double portion is basically what she deserves. Like everything. She gets it all. So give it back to her. All. And this is the angel telling God, commanding God, pleading with God, praying to God that he would do her that. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury... So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since she says in her heart, I sit as queen. I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. I just want you to think of celebrities. Is this not their posture? And today you can watch, maybe not today. Today? You can watch a football game and see a famous celebrity, Taylor Swift. Living the world. I got it. I got it all. Self-glorification. She's living in luxury. I see this queen. And she's the queen. She's captivated the NFL world. A couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, I was told by one of the guys at, at uh, my pool league who, who uh, listens to sports radio a lot, says Taylor Swift has dominated sports news because of her relationship with Kelsey. What's his name, Trevor? Kelsey? Is it Travis Kelsey. Thank you. <laughs> there she is. It's a queen. Self-glorification is what we see here. She has glorified herself. And this is cities do this. Like, like Taylor Swift might just be a, like a, um, just an image of what cities do. They glorify themselves, being so big. Indulgence, though, the flesh. Lived in luxury. Flown around the world. Done whatever they want. Because we have all this wealth. Because cities produce wealth. Because there's trade that's close by. And trade increases wealth. Because you create cheaper. They create cheaper. You put it together and you get things. And wealth wealth just expands to indulgence. And then there's a lot of pride. I sit as queen, says Babylon. I'm not, I'm not a widow. Morning I shall never see. Cities, right? It's going well. We're doing good. We're prospering. We're living a good life. Without God, pride and Finally, ignorance of God's judgment. Never seeing the judgment of God that's coming. And I say this. These are the sins of our day. And, and we may just say, okay, the celebrities are like that. I said, think of the celebrities. Okay, so now, now I want you to think about your social media. Social media is about self-glorification. Look how good I am. Look how good I am. Look at this. Look at this. And I might be in danger of that as well as I showed you my check I won. Look at how good I am. Look how good a pool player I am. I'm in, I'm in the standard division, okay? There's lots of guys ahead of me. But that's self-glorification. Look at me. Look at how great I am. Indulgence of the flesh is all around us. And by and large, our society is ignorant of the judgment of God. And the judgment will come and the judgment will be swift. For this reason, Why? Because she's glorified herself, because she's indulged in the flesh, because she's prideful, because ignorant of God's judgment, right? I'm going to sit. I'm going to be fine. I'm never going to mourn. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. Exactly what she said is not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to her, to Babylon, to the city, to idolaters, to those who forget God. She'll be burned with fire. Why? 
Because the Lord, because for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. These are terrible words, but it is the judgment of God. It's a judgment on God, a judgment from God of those who hate God and those who engage themselves in the pleasures of the world and those who are wealthy and I think neglect the poor. Acts 20, verse 38, 35. Paul says, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We must help the weak. We must help the poor. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with wealth. But I think wealth oftentimes captures people. Can lead them to live the luxurious life rather than living a life of service. Rather than living a life of dependence upon God. Rather than trusting Christ and just realizing that any wealth you have, your stewardship of it is God's. And the question is how much you give. The question is how much you keep. Because God's, so how much should I take for myself? And we'll look next week as I, as I think about stopping my message here. We're, we're going to see wealthy people being judged because they're in this city. Verse 9, kings. Verse 11, merchants. Verse 15, sailors. All those are making money. It's, it's so interesting that Babylon, it's not necessarily sins that we think of as sins. It's the, it's the wealth and just amassing things of the world. We're living for the things of the world. And what a good message for us next week that will be. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us to see and understand the evils of Babylon. We might see the sins that you hate and that you will judge with completeness, pouring out your wrath with completeness upon the earth. Those who get caught up in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. But God, those things are not from you, but they're from the world. And I pray that we would understand the world is passing away and also its lusts. But that we might do your will, O God, the one who does the will of God will live forever. And so that's our hope beyond Babylon. Babylon was only living for the moment, and so many people are existentially living for the moment today, not thinking about tomorrow. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom to think about tomorrow and next month and next year and eternity and realize what a, what a blessed life is ahead of us if we just trust in Christ. Oh, not in this world. In, in this world, the message to those in Revelation is suffering and, and perhaps death. God, but past this life, there's a better life to come that we can look forward to. Enjoying you, we'll be your people and you will be our God in perfect unity. And may we look for that day. And may that be the day that stirs us this day on to, to live for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, Fallen, Fallen is Babylon, part two next week. So, and then we'll get to the good stuff. Revelation 19 gives a flavor of that, and then 21 is, is really good. So with that, just really encourage you to check your heart.